Good morning, everybody. Uh, I hope if you were here last week or watched this sermon last week, you know what we're talking about this week, which is uh, we're going to start Second Thessalonians. Now, I, I was talking to um, uh, one of my mentors, accountability partners, you know, all that kind of stuff, my Uncle Jerry. And, I, you know, I told him, we were just talking about some stuff, and I said, you know, I've been a pastor now for two years and he laughed at that because he's been a pastor for like 40 plus years. So, um, But I said, one of my biggest fears when I was going through school and being a pastor was that I was going to run out of sermons. And what was I going to do if I ran out of sermons? I mean, like, obviously, you know, you'll preach about the same topics. But what do I do if I've gone through and he goes, listen, Sam, I've been doing this for 40 years and there's still passages of scripture I probably have not taught from. So you're going to be okay. Secondly, it's okay to repeat some sermons. Tweak them, change them a little bit, update them, but it's okay. Now, here's the thing. This is not an updated, tweaked sermon, but it's the third thing that he told me. And it's the best piece of advice he's given me, in my opinion, about being a pastor and preaching. Book studies are a pastor's best friend. Because you don't have to go and try to find a topic. It's just right there. And you just go through it. That's So, so... Uh, we're doing a book study in Second Thessalonians, and I'll tell you that I do enjoy doing book studies. You know me. I love context. I love facts. I love knowing things in where, uh, it, it, within what it's in. And we can all, I, pretty much every book of the Bible has verses in it that we take out and we make it our life verse, or we put it on a plaque or on a, on a painting or whatever, and it's good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But... When you do a book study, it allows you to see what that verse means, not just in the context of the paragraph it's in, but in the context of the entire, in this case for 2 Thessalonians, letter that it was written in, or the entire historical narrative, or, or the, whatever it is, whatever type of, of literature the book that you're reading from in the Bible is, it allows you to put it into perspective. Because here's the thing, if you've ever written a letter, unless you're like me, who has ADD and just kind of bounces around from topic to topic, most of the time, a letter or an essay has one central theme that goes throughout its entirety. So then how do the verses that we know fit into that entirety? That's one of the reasons I like book studies and one of the reasons why we do them. We've done two or three, uh, and this is going to be our next one, Second Thessalonians. Today we're going to do the entirety of chapter 1. It's only 12 verses, so we're going to do the entirety of chapter 1 today. Uh, so we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and again, I read out of the New American Standard, uh, and for those of you that are here, you'll be able to see that right up there. Um, and for those of you that aren't, whatever Bible you've got with you, that's fine. If you want to read out of the New American Standard, open another tab, go to BibleGateway.com and just do it that way. Uh, that's one of the easiest ways to do that. But uh, let's read it, shall we? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It reads, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. 
This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I'm in verse 9 now. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he has come to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith and power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's dive into this. If you have your note sheet there, number one is a growing faith, a growing faith. Now this is 2 Thessalonians, which means it's the second letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. He references his first letter right there in the beginning in verse, uh, in verse 3 there. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. If you look back in 1 Thessalonians, which we looked at three months ago at least now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 in verses 5 and 10, I'm not going to read them, but you can go and look at them, Paul expresses concern about the faith of the people in Thessalonica. And in his second letter here, he's writing back and he goes, listen, I don't have to be concerned about that anymore. Your faith, your love is growing. Why? How? What is this catalyst, right? What's the water that's, that's watered the seeds that's growing this faith? Oh, it's in verse 4. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. The catalyst for growth in faith is persecution, affliction, trial, and tribulation. That's how faith grows. It's like the same thing as with patience. My dad always told me, don't pray for patience on your greatest enemy because the only way to get patience is to have to experience things that require patience. It's not something that God just gives you. It's the same thing with faith. Faith takes work. It takes this persecution, this tribulation to grow it because you see God working. And as you see God working, you trust him more and more and more and more with each little thing. Think about the disciples on the boat with the tossing waves and stuff. And then finally, they don't, they don't have faith. And then Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. And their faith grows from that. Right? Their faith grows because of the tribulation that they face. Now here's the thing. I've said this now two or three times over the past couple of weeks. But never from the pulpit. So I'm going to say this from the pulpit. And you might not agree with me. That's okay. I'm going to be honest with you, I think you're wrong, but one of the greatest disservices that the church has had is the existence of America and its freedoms that it gives us, because we are not persecuted. Persecution's coming. It'll be here. We know that because of scripture, so, so don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, 
but the fact that in, for the past 250 or so years, the church in America, I'm not talking about the church in the Middle East or China or anywhere else, I'm talking about specifically the church in America, has seen unparalleled freedom. And because of that, we, and I include myself in this, have watered down our gospel and our faith to just be this thing that we do on Sunday morning because we don't have to worry. Right, The Christian in the Middle East has to worry that ISIS is going to cut their head off for their belief. I don't have to be afraid of that. Even in this country right now, in the state of Pennsylvania, we are allowed to meet as a church. That's by our PA state laws. There are some states where they are completely shut down religious organizations. We don't have to deal with that in Pennsylvania. Faith grows through persecution. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons that the American church lacks faith is because we don't face persecution. We face little bits of it here and there, and usually not from the state. It's usually just, you know, oh, this bad thing happened in my life. Yep, it did. So did it in everybody else's. Faith grows through persecution. Now, I'm also not saying you should be praying that somebody takes over the White House and changes us into an Islamic state to kill us all. I'm not saying you should be asking for that. I praise God every day that I get to live in America. It is the greatest country on earth. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I am so thankful that I get to live here. But I also recognize that it has watered us down over the past couple hundred years. But these people in Thessalonica, they faced trial and tribulation. They lived in a world that hated Christians. Yes, our world still hates Christians today, but back then you didn't have quite the freedoms that we do today. And Paul says, listen, I I thank God for your growing faith because of that. I say all of that to say this. When you face trial and tribulation and persecution, do not lament the fact that you have to face them. Perhaps we should do what Psalm 98 says and shout joyfully before the Lord because our faith is growing. Right? We love Romans where it tells us that he's, uh, God's working together all things for the good of those who love him. Well, that thing is to become more like his son. And to become more like his son, you got to face a bunch of crap. That's the long and the short of that. The other thing that he talks about there in this first section is down at the end of verse 5. Uh, I'll read the whole verse. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgments that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. Church, you are called to suffer for the kingdom of God. Yes, you're called to suffer for it. You're called to give everything that you have, everything that you are, everything you own, everything you love, every desire you have, you're called to give it up for God. Now, I'm not saying that you should be like uh, uh, certain sects of religious people during like the Middle Ages, right? Where they were like, well, we whip ourselves because obviously we've made God mad and that's why the Black Plague is here. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that you should walk around with your head held down and cast down and your eyes are sad and you're like, oh, woe is me. I am suffering for Jesus. No. You should be joyful in it. You should be, you know what? I'm thankful that these things come my way because it means that Jesus is working in my life and God's kingdom is going forward. We sing songs about it. We preach about it. We talk about it. But how often do we actually want to just go and do it? It's hard. I'm not up here telling you, well, you know, I suffer daily for Jesus. I'm real good at it. No. I'm as bad at it as, I'm as, bad at it as the next person but it's what we're called to do. 
And so the first thing, I want to point that out, that that first thing, and Paul generally, uh, he starts off his letters generally by admonishing or encouraging the people he's writing to, and that's what he encourages them with. Listen, your faith is growing. Takes that persecution. So don't be upset when that persecution comes. God's growing your faith. So that was number one, a growing faith. Number two, God will repay. God will repay. Now, I have a way of self-deprecating myself. I'm pretty okay with just telling people who I am. If you remember last week, right, we talked about how I'm not a nice person. I'm not rude or mean, but I'm also not necessarily just this nice guy like certain other people are, right? I'm also not necessarily a peacemaker. It's not my strong suit in life. Making sure that everybody, you know, being that mediator, that was never my thing. I'm really good at somebody coming to me saying I've been wronged, and I'm like, great, I'm going to go get my sword. My mediation is by beating the other person into submission. So the idea of retribution to me, I'm going to be honest with you, it sits right. It feels good. Oh, yeah. God's going to repay him. I can't wait for that. When I was a kid, I used to read Revelation. I'm like, I can't wait to see this. Now as an adult, I'm like, man, I hope I don't have to watch that. That's literally going to be hell on earth. I, can't, I don't want to watch that. These next couple verses, Paul talks about the fact that God will repay those who afflict. Those who afflict the Christian church, his people. God is going to repay them. God is going to show them retribution. Now here's the thing. First off, it doesn't happen immediately. Evil is allowed to endure in this age. Make no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Evil is allowed by God to endure for a time. And we can talk about why that is. I'll give you the answer right now, but maybe later on down the road we'll do a Bible study just on that. The reason is that God wants as many people to come to him as he can. So he allows evil to endure for a time so that people will come to him. But there will come a day when he will no longer allow evil to endure and he will wipe it from the face of the earth. And just to make sure there's no more, he will wipe off the earth and make a new one. That's going to look pretty cool, right? But he's going to repay these people. And here's the, here's the I'm going to jump down to verse 9. And this one's not on your note sheet, so you'll have to write this in if you want it there. The punishment for people. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You want to know what the worst thing about hell and the lake of fire is? You're separated from God. You're not in his presence anymore. You see, I don't care how evil a person you are on this earth, the presence of God is still there because God is everywhere. And so he's here. I don't care. God was in the presence of Saddam Hussein, of Adolf Hitler. Think of the worst people in history. They still felt the presence of God. But Paul says right here, listen, the destruction, the penalty, is removal of that presence. I can't imagine what that would be like. There's only one person that I know of throughout all of history that knows what that feels like, and that's Jesus, when, he turn, when God turns his face away from him when he's on the cross. That's the only person that I know of that knows what that feels like. That's a whole nother sermon in that too. But here's the thing, right? Because in my human, angry, fighting nature, I go, yes, give them what they deserve. Does that mean that I should get what I deserve? Because, you know, I deserve that too. 
I deserve to be separated from the presence of God for eternity as well because of me, because of my sin. When we read these following verses, and I'm going to combine points two and three. Point three on your note sheets is ultimately to the glory of, of Christ. He says, and by, by he I'm talking about Paul, uh, in verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, right? Ultimately, this whole thing, the retribution, the growing faith, the growing love is all to the glory of God. And that tells me that Paul is not telling them this, that, that people will be given retribution in order to be smug about it or happy about it, but because we are supposed to show Christ to everybody. What is the ultimate thing that glorifies Christ? A lost soul becoming his. That's the greatest thing for Christ. Somebody that was once an enemy becoming his son or daughter. And so I don't think that Paul says those couple of verses there, uh, six, seven, uh, 6 through 10 there. I don't think he tells us that so that we can be like, ha, one day. I think he tells us that so that we can go, crap, one day. And we don't know what day, but it's coming. And I, I got to make sure that I'm spreading Christ to everyone. I got to make sure that I'm showing Christ to everybody. When I read in Revelation or Daniel or here and I see the destruction and the penalty for unbelievers, it should not make me feel happy. It should make me feel sad and distraught that people will have to experience this. Because I should want nobody because God doesn't want anybody to have to go through it. And if God doesn't want them, right, God is willing that none should perish, how much more should I? I need to fall in line with that too. It says to me, and of course, here we are, we're reading just a little bit into the letter, so this is not what I'm about to say, I'm not going to die on, this isn't a hill to die on, but reading between the lines a little bit, it says to me that it's possible that this church in Thessalonica, while their, while their faith was growing and their love for each other was growing, they were starting to struggle a little bit with this idea of, of uh, uh, retribution and such, revenge. And looking at it more as a, well, it's going to happen to them, than it is a, we need to make sure people, it doesn't happen to them. You're going to see, uh, as we go through the book of Second Thessalonians, this, the, 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 the narrative weave through it and come back. And, and I think one of the big ideas we're going to see throughout Second, Second Thessalonians is that at verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you. The glorification of Jesus. You hear me pray it every single week. God, I pray that this, this, our time together, the service, our songs, our fellowship would be glorifying and honoring to you. And it's not just lip service. Because I want everything I do, everything I say, everything I think to be honoring and glorifying to God. Now I'm going to tell you, I fail at it. Every single day I have thoughts or actions or what have that they're not glorifying to God. I'm also here to tell you, so do you. But when we strive for that, and I start every day, my prayer, I start every day, the last thing that I pray is, God, help me to glorify and honor you this day. One of my favorite lines, you guys know I love casting crowns, on their song, Life Song, is, I want to sign your name at the end of this day, knowing that my heart was true. I want to sign God's name at the end of the list of things I did today. I want to be able to sign Christ's name there and know that my heart was true in it. And to do that, I've got to glorify and honor him. And I think we're going to see that theme weaving its way throughout the entire letter of 2 Thessalonians. 
Next week, we're going to jump into chapter 2. So if you want to read the first part of that uh, this week, you can get a head start on that. But uh, I'm going to tell you this. This will be the last thing, and then we'll we'll pray and we'll... uh, We'll head out, so uh, Graham, if you want to come up so that you can play the, the, the postlude music. Um, the coronavirus thing, right, it was hard on us all, and we're not out of the woods from it yet. But I have a feeling that it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened. Please don't misunderstand me. Anybody that dies from anything is a loss. But the church is stronger now than it was two months ago. Not just ours, not just First Baptist Church of New Milford. The church of God is stronger now than it was two months ago. I'll tell you this, I think it's because God's gearing us up because we're right, I personally believe we're right near the end times and so God's gearing us up. So we've got to grow in faith and we've got to grow in love for each other and ultimately we've got to honor and glorify God through the whole thing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you uh, for the bright sunshine, for the warmer weather uh, that we've had these past couple of days. Thank you that we live in a, not just a country, but in a state that does allow us to meet. God, it's so incredible. It's so good. I thank you for the blessings you've given us. Father, I pray that you would grow our faith. Yep. I know what that means. I know it means trial. I know it means tribulation. I know it means persecution. But I know it means becoming more like your son. And there's nothing that I want more. And there's nothing that any of us should want more than to become more like him. Lead us, guide us, and ultimately, Father, let us glorify and honor you with every little thing that we do. Father, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.